0: Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory and you're listening to Games on Film.
1: Welcome back to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. It's our first podcast of 2020. We're in a whole new decade. Are you excited? Yes. Welcome to the future. The future. And actually, we're doing a film today set in the future, uh, 2007 at least. Um, Seven years after the big quake, it says. (laughs) So um, how's life been since the big quake, Rory? (laughs) But if this film has anything to go by, it's been terrible. Uh, I think you should say out <laughs> front, this film is set in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And I was trying to think, oh, just like today, just like now. Oh, it's so prescient. Yeah, I know. Insert post-Brexit dystopia gag here. What is the film, Rory? Yes, we're talking about the 1994 beat 'em up classic, mm-hmm. <laughs> Double Dragon. Brilliant. This is like one of the one of the early big ones it gets ignored i think actually people always talk about uh, the mario movie the combati movie <laughs> the the one about um fighting in the streets i think but um this one seems to get forgotten i think i think it maybe isn't
0: as high profile as those other movies but it's uh, you know 1994 so it's around that same era as as all of those movies. In fact, the VHS bots for Double Dragon references them with the tagline, Double the
1: Street Fighters in this Mortal Kombat. Oh my god. <laughs> and the same amount of brothers as in the Mario Brothers movie.
0: Yeah, and, and I think as you mentioned at the tail end of our last episode, the fact that it is in this weird dystopia. It seems like something in the air or in the um, film producer executive toilets or something, maybe (laughs) something in their nose, uh, of the early 90s. Maybe those toilets are pretty apocalyptic. Um, Maybe it it just influenced this kind of look. And I think we'll get into this in, in more detail, I think, but the way this film presents itself and the sort of aesthetic it's going for, I think a lot of it has to do with maybe the success of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And I think quite a few of those films that go through this, like, oh, we want to make something for kids, but also with this weird grungy aesthetic, which mm. is actually quite unpleasant, mixed with this sort of day glow color scheme.
1: That's a good point, that because I I'm watching this Double Dragon movie and I'm thinking, I suppose it's aimed at kids, but it's effing terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think. there are children in this film. I had to think long and hard that there is a kid in this film, but. Yeah, I mean, going to the actual game itself, I learned some things about the game in my research on this film. Uh, I loved the, the Double Dragon games, and when um, the like mini Snez was released, I really enjoyed playing it again. I don't think it's actually aged that badly. It's pretty basic, you just have a punch and a kick, and somewhat randomly you can grab people by the head and knee but knee, knee them in the face and things. Um Double Dragon 2 has got a really great thing where I think A is punching right and B is punching left, so it's quite fun to have people around you and, and beat everyone around you. But the setting, I just thought was the mean streets. I didn't think it was post-apocalyptic. I just thought it was that tough sort of 80s, sort of Manhattan aesthetic. People talk about how now New York is very gentrified, very safe, but back in the day, it was just, you know, murders all the time in New York. And I just thought that was the game's recreation of it. But in my reading, I learned it is actually post-apocalyptic, at least in the Japanese story. Did you you read this at all? In the video game, famously, a girl gets gut-punched and carried away by some thugs. And... It's your girlfriend if you're one player, it's somebody's girlfriend if it's two player. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't pick. You don't pick, and then you beat up loads of shits, and then you get to the end of the game. And I I admit, I never got to the end of the game. And so I learned that um, if you're playing it in co-op, and you get to the final boss, you then have to turn on each other and fight to the death, and one of you gets the girl, which is... uh, Pretty chilling, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Well, Double Dragon 2, uh, the revenge, the sequel starts with the girlfriend that you save in the first game being killed oh, at God. the very start of the game, and then it really is a revenge mission yeah. afterwards. It's not so much damsel in distress as damsel is deceased.
1: Oh, that's horrible. But um, yes, the the Western version doesn't really have much supporting material. The Japanese version does, again, casually drop in the fact there was a nuclear war. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which, expl- which which explains the different coloured sprites you're fighting wave after wave of punks, and some of them are different colours. And I just thought, it's because it's a video game, but it's actually some are different types of mutants. Oh. So, again, sort of all kinds of depressing. <laughs> but it does mean, when I when I saw this film, because this was not the first time I watched Double Dragon, This I watched Double Dragon maybe 10, 15 years ago, and i was really perplexed by the post apocalyptic setting but watching it today i found i found it um quite in keeping with the with the feel of the games but i don't know if you agree with that uh, uh, to an extent i think
0: because double dragon is a side scrolling beat em up it's maybe not as well regarded a series as say streets of rage or final fight but it definitely had a big um uh, impact. I think the music, the main theme, yes. I really love the original theme tune And the multiple sequels and there was an animated TV series I watched
1: some of that this morning How was it? It's the most generic thing mm. ever I mean, I think you can even watch like He-Man, Masters of the Universe I should say Sorry He-Man fans <laughs> And you can maybe see they were doing just something a little bit more At the very least having fun of it I think the guy who played Skeletor, you know, he was having fun but Double Dragon was just so painfully generic. The title sequence is just going to say Double Dragon a lot, I think. Um to be a dragon, you got to be strong. Come, we'll never brag in. Always fight for right, battling wrong. With the power of the dragon. The main characters, they wear masks rather than... They wear masks when they're doing their action. They have swords. And both those things didn't seem very Double Dragon to me. Mm. Um, I got about five minutes in. Yeah. Um <laughs>
0: But it, it certainly... I think it just has a catchy name. And I think mm-hmm. that's why it had the impact. And that's not to say anything about, you know, the quality of the games. Because I think at the time they were um very good for what they what they were and they were developed by Technos Japan, who were also known for the Kunio kun games, which uh of which River City Ransom is uh one of them and that's a sort of uh, I think you can get that on the Switch NES online at the moment and it's worth playing because uh-huh. it's it's double Dragon esque but it's got slightly more cartoony graphics. Um there's a bit more depth to the fighting and um moving around the different screens, etc. I think those that series of games has actually um, uh, continued on beyond the existence of Technos Japan, actually. Mm,
1: There's River City Girls, which came out recently. Is that yeah, kind of, is I that think connected?
0: that's a sort of a spin-off from that. Okay. Um, and yeah, there has been a more up-to-date Double Dragon game. There was Double Dragon Neon, I think, about six, seven years ago, uh, which tried to do a sort of updated version of the side-scrolling
1: beat-em-up. So, why, why don't these brothers just call the police? Uh, uh, just the, <laughs> the... I, I thought that, like what playing the game. It's like, you know what? They just fu- if, I, if I was in Double Dragon, if we were the brothers in Double Dragon, I would file a police report <laughs> and uh, I'd imagine that she'd be quickly um, discovered, safe and sound, our, girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> our girlfriend. Our mutual girlfriend. Our mutual girlfriend. would be recovered with, with no need to hit anyone with a metal pipe. Because the
0: punks and the police, there's corruption, there's bribes, there's all kinds of stuff. You can't go to the
1: pigs. In the film, the gangs are fully on board with the police showing up at the end to save the day in their SWAT cars. I'm like, this is quite dated now.
0: Well, so the film was made in 1994, and it's interesting this kind of relationship, the context with which the film... So the post-apocalyptic aspect of it is one thing, but what struck me as... I don't know enough about the situation, I don't know enough about the context and maybe the feeling of the time, but this was released in 1994, which was two years after the L.A. riots, Mm -hmm. and I'm just intrigued by how this film was regarded at the time as making a sort of commentary about gangs, a commentary about, you know, New Angeles, so it's set in a sort of dystopian L.A., the cops and whether they are heroes in this film or they're not because there's this sort of curfew set where, you know, cops can rule the day, but the gangs rule at night. I'd like to imagine the cops think they rule the day. <laughs> <laughs> um But I don't know. It's just for what it for what is a kid's action adventure movie to an extent. But as you say, it's got all these very sort of strange adult inappropriate elements mm-hmm. wedged in there. I just wonder if it's just playing around with this, you know, post-Rodney King context or whether it is just, yeah. like, completely oblivious
1: to it. It or... feels more oblivious to me. <laughs> I think you might be giving it too much credit there. But apart from the fact that this film then inspired... it got A game was based on this, did you know? Like, Neo, a Neo Geo version which featured like Shuko, the villain from this. Uh, it also had some very brief video sequences of uh, uh, Robert Patrick talking directly to the camera at the very start of it. But weirdly, that was not a scrolling beat-em-up. That was that was like just a full-on... Like one versus one well, yeah. fighting game. Yeah, so um, that was a bit weird. But apart from that, is there anything else to say about the video games?
0: Well, I suppose if the first two games are more a sort of rough-and-ready side-scrolling beat-em-up. The third game did introduce a few more mystical elements. Mm. You had to sort of find these Rosetta stones, and apparently the uh, finale of the game has you fighting supernatural monsters in Cleopatra's tomb, which is the inevitable um, ending for any side-scrolling beat-em-up.
1: Well, no, that's a very good point, because the film goes full bore into mystical Daleks, Mystical dallions <laughs> uh, Mystical medallions um, And yeah I guess that's a, that's a big question When you're trying to adapt the material Because the plot as I mentioned is super duper basic Your girlfriend gets kidnapped And you, you beat the shit out of loads of punks So uh, I, I do wonder if that was um, I mean where do you go You can't keep Well I was going to say you can't keep kidnapping girlfriends But I think the Super Mario series <laughs> Pretty much resound the Um Quashes that.
0: Yeah, definitely ploughs that furrow. I mean, there's sometimes with Mario games they sort of turn it on its head, and you play as Peach and all that kind of stuff. Like the Super
1: Paper Mario games mm. are pretty good at that sort of thing. But uh, I think Mario. Yeah. Sh- I think Mario should kidnap Bowser's girlfriend next time. You'd be Super Cooper Adventure, and you'd st- Mario would be stealing Bowset. Bowset. You heard it here
0: first. <laughs> so before we get stuck into the film proper. Just wanted to talk a little bit about, I guess, the intentions and the making of it, behind it. Uh, so For the it, art. For the art. <laughs> uh, so, directed by Jim Jukic. I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation of his name. What are you going to say, Jim Ukip? <laughs> <laughs> Um This, I believe, was his first feature film, and I don't think he's directed anything else since. This is
1: not a feature film. But
0: it's... he's primarily a live... Director, so directing music concerts, mm. um, doing live TV. I think he was directed Chelsea Lately uh, show. Um, lots of uh, live sort of stand-up comedy and um, concert performances. He started off mainly doing music videos. In fact, his first music video was the uh, video for Modern Love by David Bowie, which is mainly comprised of concert footage anyway, so you can see why he, he did the gig. Um, lots of Genesis and Phil Collins music videos. That seemed to be his main thing. And uh, he also filmed Bruce Willis's live music special, The Return of Bruno.
1: Oh, my God. I haven't seen that, but I want to. I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know that had been captured on
0: video. But the reason he did this film was because uh, he was a friend with the producer and he was looking to direct a feature film. Um... But he said that the biggest challenge was that the script was somewhere between a kids movie and a big action special effects film, and the producers were torn between, do we want to make this more sort of diehard? Do we want to make this more Mm. kid-friendly? And he decided that they didn't really have the budget to do super mega, like, you know, action explosions style action movie. So they ended up going the sort of more kids approach, but... Apparently, even after they decided to remove most of the violent scenes and limit the amount of bad language, it still got a PG-13 rating in the States. It's a 12 certificate here. So apparently that sort of killed the audience somewhat. That assumes there was an audience (laughs) to begin with. I mean, we said that Double Dragon was a popular, well-known property, so there was the potential audience there. But I think, you know, doing the story that they did and the script they came up with Mm. and you know it's hard to make Double Dragon a kids-friendly thing if it is like a kind of just two people just beating people up relentlessly yes. in a in a sort of terrifying urban post-apocalyptic street.
1: You're talking about when it was released. It actually boggles my mind that this could have been released as an like an actual movie. By which I mean, I think w- when you watch it now, you watch it in a different way. You watch it in a like so bad it's good kind of way or, or, or just hey the 90s kind of way or like almost like a historical thing because it's one of the earliest video game movies but imagine it, just imagine it being released today <laughs> yeah imagine seeing this in the cinema i mean i have to say this is the first um podcast we've done since i saw cats and i'm happy to report that the sort of how the hell did this get released kind of filmmaking is alive and well today
0: uh, it had a $7.8 million budget, apparently, and made $2.3 million oh. at the box office. So, you know, we're talking small numbers
1: both mm-hmm. ways round. Well, shall we get stuck into the film proper then? Why not? We have... This is a very special treat. We don't have a DVD box reading. We have a Blu-ray box reading. Rory owns this on Blu-ray. I mean, since starting this podcast, my shelves are now heaving with crappy movies (laughs) Um, the the quality ratio has gone way way down but uh hey ho you get to keep this forever now yeah i i don't have to though (laughs) i can always just throw it away (laughs) yeah i was gonna say give it to a charity shop but again you'll just be wasting shelf space perhaps no actually no charity shop would be would be fun i think this is a charity case well it says on the front the cult movie
0: collection
1: so it knows what it is
0: yeah, uh, like one oh one films who have released this Blu-ray, uh they do specialise in a lot of um uh like old Kung Fu movies and grindhouse movies and and digging up, you know, stuff which no one else would probably want to release. Mm. Um I, I will say though that the quality of the Blu-ray was very um I don't know, probably as good as the YouTube version of this film. I don't think it's been very uh, spruced up.
1: That's a really upsetting thing, actually, because when Blu-rays came on the scene, I was really excited. I thought every film would look pin sharp, but no. They just you... stuck
0: the old movie yeah, on a Blu-ray. Dish.
1: Exactly. What does it say on the the back of Double Dragon?
0: The hit video game roars to life with amazing SFX and spectacular action sequences starring Robert Patrick, Mark DeCastros, and Scott Wolfe. In a future 2007, Earthquakes, Tidal Waves, and Vicious Gang Wars Ravage LA. The evil tycoon Koga Shuko, Robert Patrick, Terminator 2, is obsessed with finding both halves of the Double Dragon, a talisman that will give him awesome mystical powers. Teenage brothers Jimmy, Mark Dacascos, Brotherhood of the Wolf, and Billy, Scott Wolf, Party of Five, wind up with the missing half, thrusting them into the adventure of a lifetime. Marion, Alyssa Milano, Commando, and her Vigilante Power Corps help them summon all their courage, resourcefulness, and martial arts skills to stop the villain's evil plans. This high-octane spectacular crackles with the energy and humour of its heroes. Fasten your seatbelt and enjoy the ride.
1: Nice, well I'm pretty hyped now, and I've already seen the film. 2007,
0: Los Angeles. The city has changed. Cops rule the day, punks rule the night, and one man wants to rule them all. There's only one thing he needs to succeed. This is only half. Find me the other half now. And look who's got it. It magnifies the power inside you. This half gives power over the body. All right, so where's the on button? Now, two brothers will stop at nothing to protect their half. Look out! And a madman will stop at nothing to possess it. You're gonna love this. Let's have some fun. Wants gum. If they succeed, they're heroes. But if he does, they're history. Watch your step. Time
1: to skin you guys. T2's Robert Patrick, Scott Wolf, Mark
0: DeCostos, <laughs> and Alyssa Milano, Double Dragon. You said it. We don't really have to wear these, do we?
1: It says they're teenage brothers. Are they teenagers? Yeah, they say they're 17 and
0: 18 when they get the uh, data from the gang's data
1: pack scanning system. I mean, I, I read here... I'm just having a look. Yes. When Shuko finds out about the Lee brothers, Billy is listed 17 and Jimmy is 18. But later in the movie, one of the gang members reads the brothers' information and it was revealed that Jimmy was born February 24th, 1990 and Billy on February 17th, 1992. Since the film takes place in 2007, that means Jimmy is 17 and Billy is 15. Billy does not look 15. I'm I'm very confused. I think that's called a continuity error. Mm. (laughs) I I suppose. But yeah, just they, they just look like old men. I mean, are they? <laughs> they do. I mean, do do are they? It's not quite like Walter old... Matthau and Jack Lemmon. That would be. I'd very much like to see that version of Double Dragon. But um, are the actors that young as well?
0: I don't think so. No,
1: I just grew up in a period where all 80s teenagers were played by 20 year old men or more, and. Uh, it's really confused me. I have I have problems with ages even today. They are Hollywood teenagers. They're that's ho- how it's. That's how it is. Because they are we are protagonists, Billy and Jimmy. They also have like a, a guardian or a mother figure. It says in in my notes um, called Satori, and she's like the, she seems the same age. Is she, meant, is she older? No, I think she's older. Oh, she seemed the same age. I don't know. So I just...
0: Well, it's like when you had a babysitter. They were probably only about three years older than True. you. But...
1: I just think, I think <laughs> if you're driving a car, you don't need a babysitter. But, hey, I don't Have know. Have you seen these guys? They're useless. They are pretty They useless. need all the help they can get. I mean, where to begin in this film? Do we want to talk about the protagonists since we are? Yeah, sure. So, um, brothers, Billy and Jimmy. And I, I, they... I think the film did a good trick of of uh, Jimmy is always in red and Billy is always in blue, because they only really wear their, their G's. Is it G's? The sort of martial arts pajamas. <laughs> I thought that was Indian butter. Uh, um, they they their characters in the game they are iconically red or blue, and um, they wear their iconic outfits at the end um, with a fair amount of bling. But uh, throughout the film, we're just wearing T-shirts and shirts, and uh, they still keep to their colour scheme. And I appreciate that. But um, I guess one thing the f- film doesn't ever really address is, um, are, do they, are they brothers from different mothers? They or? have the same father. Okay. Because, yes, Lee, if we are going down the traditional route of, of surnames.
0: Yeah. But also it's mentioned in the film. Oh, right. That's as well. <laughs>
1: um... But yes, I mean, yeah, uh, Jimmy, the actor, Mark, is it Cas Tocascus. Tocascus. I mean, he's from, um, it says here, Japanese, Filipino, Spanish, Irish and Chinese heritages. Um, Billy, I, I think, is less complex. <laughs> 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 but, I mean, talking about heritages, the opening of this film, we start in like an ancient Chinese... Well, I thought it was an ancient Chinese village. It says somewhere in China. And I assumed it was ancient because it's thatched roofs being... and it's all. Very basic villages, no, no, no mobile phones. I saw.
0: Yeah, and um, the opening narration talks about how sort of like terrorised by local warlords and all this kind of stuff. So you have this village being burnt to the ground by people on horseback wearing, you know, as you say, the sort of like traditional. I say traditional, it's some sort of imagined version of mm-hmm. traditional uh, sort of armour, etc. But yes, then at one point someone pulls out a high-tech suitcase and starts sort of communicating via satellite. And yep. It's just
1: like, oh, okay, so this is modern-ish times. It's just that thing where everyone thinks Transylvania still has gothic castles and, and vampire backs and lightning. Yeah. Um, and everyone, I guess, supposed China hasn't really progressed since um, <laughs> like 1000 BC or something. The opening narration, right away, kind of confused me because it says here, Thousands of years ago in ancient China, an evil army of shadow warriors terrorised the great city of Shang To save his people, the good king sacrificed himself to create a mystical medallion. Realising the ultimate powers of the medallion, the king split it in half. Now this confuses me because... He sacrificed himself to create a medallion. And then after sacrificing himself, he split the medallion.
0: And then gave it to his, his sons. sons. I don't know. Does Did he just turn into a medallion? Or... I don't know how he
1: sacrificed himself to create it. And does then, it have his blood inside? And then Satori later on says that she split the medallion. And for a minute I thought... So is she thousands of years old? No, she's just taking credit. (laughs) She's taking credit or she had the medallion up until she's met Billy and Jimmy and thought, these two idiots. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't these two dum-dums? Yeah. Yes, we discover later on in the narration done by Kogosuko, the villain, the king split it in half and to one son he gave the power over body to the other power over the soul. This is the legend of the double dragon. I mean, what did you think about these? These are our protagonists. They're meant to be the people we want to see succeed. Did you enjoy them? (laughs) (laughs) I I suppose the way they're divided up. So
0: Jimmy, played by Mark DeCastris, he is like the cool one. Mm -hmm. He is the sensible one. He is the older brother. I I guess so. That's what you're supposed to be. Oh, right. Yes, I am the older brother. (laughs) At least that's the relationship in this film. I don't know whether that
1: transponds to our... Fraternal existence. I mean, he also seems to be one clearly better at martial arts. Yes. Um, I mean, the actor himself, I think, is better at martial arts. So.
0: Yeah, Scott Wolf, when he does his fu sequences, it's much more slapsticky. It's like swinging into people, Mm. pushing them like into trunks and stuff. Whereas (laughs) Jimmy is more like, no, I can actually use a bow staff and actually do (laughs) backflips.
1: Yes, when he hits. He traps somebody's ponytail in the case and then says, What a head case. So he's good he's good at the puns. Yeah, to find good. <laughs> Subjectively good at the puns. I haven't seen
0: actually enough Mark D'Atruscus films. I know like he was in Crying Freeman, Brotherhood of the Wolf, Drive, you know, as the sort of leads, but I guess Big thing that we saw him in last year was John Wick 3. Yeah, that's a surprise. He was the, he was um,
1: hilarious, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think he's a char- charismatic performer. Yes. He definitely, you know, does what he can with some ropey stuff in this film. So I think he is likeable.
1: Yeah, I think I prefer him to Billy. Who's Billy... very smug. Yeah, I don't have really much to say About Billy, he's just like a boring kind of white dude, I suppose. (laughs) He's the one who's given the medallion, I think, though. He's the one who's always wearing the medallion. And I think this is the the power of the body is his medallion. There's a hilarious bit at the end of the first act where Shuko arrives at their home and Satori says, you will never find the medallion. And in the background, Billy is there with the medallion around his neck. And I thought, just turn around, <laughs> look behind you. We're, I mean, we're introduced to them at a
0: tag team kung fu tournament, yeah. if such a thing exists, but clearly it does in New Angeles circa 2007. And they lose the match because Billy's having some fun and goofing around when he should actually be kung fu fighting um, properly.
1: Congratulations, Billy, you just lost us the prize money. Hey, you were playing it safe and they were catching up. We were just having a little fun. Yeah, well, have your fun out of the ring. What a buzzkill.
0: But uh, you get the sort of like tone of their dialogue and and with the movie when, you know, the people that they lost out to says like... Better luck
1: next time, losers.
0: (laughs) Eat some fist, buttheads! Silly, no!
1: Yeah, I mean, we watched a um, a making of, like a four minute long making of where Robert Patrick is trying to sell the movie. And one of the things he says was, there's no profanity. And I, I found it adorable how that was a selling point. Oh, my, mine is, no profanity. And, and now I feel like you can't see one PG-13 movie, one 12 rated movie without an F word in there. Well, I'll pick him up on that because... At the climax of the movie, when
0: they're sort of uniting the medallions and it sort of says, ah, sh-, and then it slightly cuts before it yep. gets the IT, and it happens twice, even though I think the second time it happens, you do get a tiny bit of a T, almost, oh, almost, Robert. almost. Robert lied to us. But then in the final bit of the film, a couple of the henchmen...
1: Who are called Huey and Lewis? I know in the credits, but like literally, he uh, Robert Patrick says, "Huey Lewis, what's the news?" Yeah, at one point it was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> they uh, they are played by um, uh, a kung
0: fu action movie stalwart and favorite of ours, Ao Liong yeah. who um, one of the terrorists in Die Hard, of mm-hmm. course, in Big Trouble, Little China. Yeah. You know, all sorts of movies. He seems to
1: be chewing gum the entire time. And I, 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 I associate him with eating snacks and die hard. So I was, I was pleasant to see that mouth action.
0: And uh, the other hench person is played by Jeff Imada, who was also the stunt coordinator on the movie. He was also in Big Trouble Little China, and he's done lots of stunt work and um action coordination in, you know, lots of movies. Still, it seems working to today. I think the last credit I saw on Wikipedia was Furious 7. Wow. Um So pretty up to date. But at the end of the movie, they no longer are an employee and they've got signs, one mm-hmm. which says, thug seek ruthless boss, another one saying, will hench for food, yep. which are good gags. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure they're kind of quibbling at the end and one of them says the F word. <laughs> I think it says like, yeah, you screwed up. And then the other one says, the fuck you did. But <laughs> I, I don't know whether it's me just again mishearing something, but yeah. I could have sworn that was a little bit of profanity just flicked in at the end, which yeah. seems like I, I don't think it was.
1: I think I just misheard it, but mm. anyway. uh, you, You're telling me how usually you'd watch these as subtitles, but your Blu-ray didn't even have subtitles. No, no. Did it have an I, animated menu? Uh It
0: had a footage from the film being played, although nice. all together with the uh, end credits theme, which is All Together Now by The Farm, a favourite yeah. from my now
1: compilation days. That really surprised me because the whole film was soundtracked uh, with, like, you know, generic post-apocalyptic music. Well, it's it. I think it also has a little bit
0: of a big trauma, a little China flavour. Oh, them...
1: No, I, I agree. the score, very yeah. big. Oh, trouble. okay,
0: yeah, yeah. But the score was composed by Jay Ferguson, who is possibly best known now, at
1: least, for composing the main theme for The Office, the American version. I mean, again, I drove through Slough the other day and it's like, I associate that with The Office, it sounds like a sigh, the, the name Slough. <laughs> I imagine Slough being a lot like um, the city depicted in Double Dragon, to be honest. I think that's unfair on <laughs> New Angeles. No, no, no. it's unfair on Slough. <laughs> Shall we t- talk a bit about the setting? I mean, yeah. here's the thing. I I really enjoy the setting. I think it's it's a complete hodgepodge and a mess. And I don't know what's going on. And there's just all these random gangs. There's like a clown gang. So I can only assume this is like a... Like this is what happens at the end of Joker with Jack and <laughs> Phoenix because he inspires everyone to be clowns, but they're these punks. And like I said earlier, I felt the game when I played it as as a very young kid, the the whole place felt dangerous, especially because you're being attacked all the bloody time. But I just got this sense that yeah, living here in this sort of dystopian wasteland is it's a it's kind of a nightmare, but you people still learning to live in it and in that opening fight you mentioned there are all these um pillars which have to be perpetually jacked to keep stable because of quakes and things and you get some like Robocop style news reports filling in kind of what the world is like right now and that can often be a very clunky way to set the world but still I just I I did feel that this was a society in complete collapse and so you see some low-budget movies, and you feel that stops just around the corner. I'm um, I'm thinking of like RoboCop three, where you could see the the ravaged streets of old Detroit has like litter and rubbish only just down a little bit of the street, and then it's just shining city for the rest of the block. But um, yeah, here I just uh, I really enjoyed this sort of this setting. Like I said, I'm not sure if it's appropriate for kids though, because I think it would just make me cry.
0: Yeah, it's it's just. It's weird, Uh, because I think it's definitely doing things. I think definitely the Robocop influence is there, because you have the adverts, you have, like, the news reporters who I think are playing themselves, George Hamilton and Varna White. That's interesting. um, Who are sort of actors playing themselves. Well, Varna White, she was the Wheel of Fortune spinning girl. And then you've got Andy Ditch, the comedian,
1: playing a a weather forecaster. Yeah, I'm not so au-fave American comedians of that period, but... I do know Andy Dick. So when Andy Dick came up and his name came up, I was like, what the hell? And it's it's sort of playing
0: around with that stuff. There's some reference to uh, Madonna dating Tom Arnold on a news report or mm-hmm. something. And it's trying to do this like weird satirical edge to it, which uh, I just don't know if there's like a place for it here. Um... Well, you say satirical. I'm not
1: sure. I think that's that, di- that gives it too much credit. Well, and that's the distinction between that and Robocop, because I think Robocop does manage to do satire and take the Mickey out of the motor vehicles and the board games based on nuclear apocalypse. But this just I think tries to do that, but doesn't think about the satire.
0: Yeah. But what it's also playing around with, as you say, is this gangland stuff and it's you know the different kind of flavors of gangs etc with mm. their own shtick is very much like the warriors and again that's sort of like okay doing this in a kids film but sure and you have like this big meeting with all the different tribes of gangs gathered around and you've got michael berryman from the hills of eyes as this sort of like gathered P- everyone together <laughs> yeah exactly they, they nominated him he drew straws I guess that is the only way to make that side-scrolling beat-em-up thing work, because you do have waves of identical looking gangs of fighters coming at you in those sort of titles, and I think it makes sense having this post apocalyptic world and having the curfew and the fact that you know the gangs eventually break curfew because uh, they are in league with koga shuko at that point to track down the uh, the lee brothers and steal the medallion and so that adds like you know they, they they find themselves lost and then they've just got this whole assortment of different thugs from different gangs mm. And that waiting felt... for them and it felt very much like yeah like game. a beat-em-up and you know one point one of them picks up a traffic cone and starts hitting them and it's almost like interacting with the scenery and you know bashing people and things it does then culminate in like a jet ski chase which is i don't think very <laughs> <laughs> double dragon unless there's no, you know vehicle sections as there sometimes yeah. are with side-scrolling beat-em-ups but um at least then that Takes you in another trip, so of the apocalyptic setting. So they're going along what is now the Hollywood River and they're passing a submerged Hollywood sign and Man's Chinese Theatre. And yeah, um, I thought I loved that imagery and uh, (laughs) some nice map paintings.
1: Yeah, I mean, I found it very disturbing when anyone fell into the water because they go at great lengths to say if you drink. Any water, you'll be di. I think diuretic for like a week. Yeah. And I just, I just every time anyone, f- I mean, the water is bright green at the Power Core HQ, and thugs get thrown in there quite a lot. And I just think, oh my God, they're gonna die. I thought we're gonna get like speaking about RoboCop again. I thought people would be coming up there <laughs> like, like the Melty Man and RoboCop. Yeah. And going, yeah. That, that
0: jet ski chase does culminate them in them driving through a sign, which then explodes. And the pursuers think they're dead. And then they actually survive. And one of the brothers says, I bet they think we're dead. And (laughs) it's just like, um, yeah, you just exploded. And it doesn't explain, like, how you managed to get out of that. Like, I thought, I had to rewind the scene because I thought they would have jumped off the boat Mm -hmm. and then gone to safety. But no, they go through the sign. It all explodes. The person says, oh, they're dead. We just need to go and retrieve the medallion. And uh, then they sort of, like, emerge from the water and think, ha, ha, ha.
1: Fooled them. It's just like how I don't know. Maybe um, the rest of their lives are spent in you know, slowly dying, like their skin falls off. It's like it's like the like like that show Chernobyl, which is based on real life. It's <laughs> like it's, that TV show. Chernobyl. Like TV show Chernobyl. You know, I don't know how Billy and Jimmy survive more than five minutes being these free agents, not attached to any gang. Well, that's what
0: Satori is probably there for. Like she's actually doing all the busy work, mm-hmm. trying to look after them because
1: they would just probably be dead and in a dumpster by now. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, they're just vessels to hold this double dragon. Why can't she have the double dragon? Why does she give a shit about Jimmy and Billy? Because she promised their father
0: that she would look after them and the medallion because she... So their father was, I guess, some kind of archaeologist or something. And um, when they found the double dragon medallion... Apparently he died when the excavation collapsed. But it turns out that the villain of the piece actually killed oh, the yeah. brother's father. He says that what kind a of, reveal. He
1: said it sort of so offhand I sort of forgot he said that. Um <laughs> well, maybe, well, so, maybe um their father was also just as stupid as his sons though. Maybe yeah. he, he definitely went down like a route which says, Don't go down there, it's dangerous. It's what? Woo! Yes, that's how he does (laughs) it.
0: Then I will kill you, just like I did your father. What? You must know he and I were colleagues at Shang Tsa. I was there the day he discovered the medallion. The fool didn't know what he had. In his hands, it would have wasted in a museum. I tried to reason with him. The medallion's power could be used to accomplish great deeds. Like burning down people's homes, or murder. Casualties of a magnificent
1: cause. <laughs>
0: Shall we talk a little bit then about Kodashuko?
1: Let's, yes.
0: Well, so his actual name is Victor Gaysman. I think. So that's how he and Satori know each other because they are on the excavation together. And But he has renamed himself Kogashuko in tribute to some ancient Japanese uh, warlord or mm. summon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this, I think, is a M. Bison tier performance. Oh, really? Um, I really enjoyed Robert Patrick's Kogashuko in this. I think it saves the film. He, uh, Robert Patrick is obviously having a blast playing it and I actually found I think an interview with him talking about his role he seems to have really enjoyed his time on the film Robert Patrick he says there's some funny aspects to that character and it was fairly liberating to be funny and try to be menacing at the same time I am proud of my performance it's a pretty extreme performance but he also mentions his hair okay <laughs> Um, It's so, in case you don't know, his hair is pretty much a vanilla ice hair. He says, it's not my idea. I'm just putting that out there. It was an idea that the director had. He asked me if I'd do it. And I said, okay. I'm like, I get it. We're making a cartoon kind of game. It's extreme. It's an archetype villain Um, within the reality of the movie. I guess it works. Shit, I'm ready to try. I try to be as brave as I can. Sometimes you have a misfire. So I'll say I guess this works for the character. Hey, look, at least I have hair. (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, his I think his look is quite iconic in its sort of way I think before we
0: even had seen the film, because uh, we didn't see it when it came out um, We found a publicity still of Robert Patrick portraying Kogashuko And uh, for a time I did an edit of it and put it as our desktop background <laughs> nice. on our home computer I think it was there for a very long time. I might still be there if we
1: were to <laughs> boot up that old machine. He's wearing dark glasses. He's got a goatee. I mean, at one point, one of his henchwomen, his henchwoman, uh, a lady called Lash, because he has a whip. Yeah, Linda Lash from the games. Yes, yes. She, The lady with the whips in the games. Um, she opens some blinds without him ready for it. and He says, oh, you know better than that. Not before I have my shades on. And that turns out
0: to be a pivotal moment in the climax of the film, because um, when he has control of the medallion and he transforms himself into two kind of weird dragon people Mm -hmm. uh, with samurai swords, they manage to, I don't know, very easily beat him up. (laughs) Even though he has the power of the awesome medallion, he doesn't put up much of a fight. And then they uh, turn on the lights with the power generator and he's sort of, like, blinded by it and reforms back into his human self and it seems like i don't know he takes on and off his shades and yeah he winces when it's light but it's not like jason isaac's and star trek discovery or something
1: but he's just got loads of really amazing lines and just trying to find a few i think he said at one point your incompetence sticks needles in the flesh of my honor i like his line i
0: just want total domination of one major american city is that too much to ask for is it
1: <laughs> yeah it's this came after T-1000, didn't it? So yeah, he he could have done anything he wanted. And it's funny because when he does possess
0: the first medallion half, the visual effect that represents his power... Uh, I guess... I don't know if it's a reference to the games that he becomes a sort of shadow. Is that like shadow warriors or black warriors or something? But Let's,
1: let's say yes.
0: But uh, he turns into a wibbly-wobbly black and white like 2d sheet of paper which then turns into a shadow and kind of cartoon style sweeps around the floors mm. and walls and at one point it uh, runs its finger along a piano just for the lols and we hear the piano sounds yeah and it's um i don't know it's not quite the same groundbreaking effects as maybe the T1000 not quite no was it's a little bit of a step down but it's kind of enjoyable in its own schlocky way. And yeah, he definitely... As we've mentioned with M. Bison and Street Fighter and Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat and Ian Glenn and everything that we've seen him in <laughs> so far, uh, most of these video game movies, if, if they have a boo-hiss villain mm. um, really kind of chewing the scenery and really doing it tongue-in-cheek, it definitely papers over a lot of the uh, cracks elsewhere.
1: Well, I just think I prefer this performance than his performance in uh, Terminator 2. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> it's gonna... definitely the antithesis
0: of the performance. The whole idea of a T-1000 is to be cool, calm, collected, not mm. much emotion, and here he is, like, eyeballing everything. He is grinning and cackling, throwing in little chuckles whenever and just having a
1: bit of a laugh Robert Patrick or Kokoshuko he quickly discovers the identity of the heroes, and he very quickly just shows up in their place, which I found quite disturbing for a villain to be on the case of the heroes just so quickly. Before we even, usually it's the other way around. Usually the protagonists are after the villain, but suddenly this evil dude is just there, and he says shit like he actually says the words "tisk tisk." <laughs> "Tisk tisk, you boys had better learn to respect your elders." At least, sort of just tw- there's a bit where he just tweens into frame. Like he sidesteps into frame and grabs the medallion. And again, I find that really uh, just I just don't know. He's as as he mentioned earlier in his interview, I think he's both he is comical, but he he does have a slight menace to him. I think it's the fact that he can just he's he does seem to be all powerful even without this medallion. Well, his I
0: thing is that he's, I guess, the richest person in town. Um that sort of James Bond thing
1: of What? Hugo Drax? He can't be villainous. He's one of the most richest people in the world. Oh,
0: yes. Those beautiful um, philanthropist Mm. billionaire benefactors that we love so much. Yeah, because there's uh, Shuko-branded sewage pipes. There's Shuko Krispies, I think,
1: at breakfast in one scene. I was really confused because all these logos appeared where the predominant letter in that logo was a U in the centre... Like, wouldn't it be an S? But it is an S later on. It's very confusing. His he... henchmen have got his logo branded on the back of their heads. Did you see? <laughs> yeah, like painted on their actual hair. That's a pain in the ass. Yeah, so he he's
0: clearly owns the city in in that respect, and he does attempt to sort of bribe the chief of police and. Mm he has he's in lead with the gangs and you know he's got fingers and many pies but
1: uh yeah i did like this this curfew thing i liked how it kind of turns into the purge in the evening didn't it where yeah. the gangs rule the night the cops rule the day rule the say. day as we say but you know protect
0: there's... and serve the day yeah. i think they would want to
1: say but um yeah there's this there's a sort of timer a, a few times during the film they are told it's 12 minutes to curfew and all the all the people start running home just in case they get I don't know, grabbed by a punk. Should we talk about sort of the punks then and maybe the biggest one of them all?
0: Yeah, um, so quickly our heroes encounter and piss off um, uh, a very big gang member called Bo Abobo. Um, Abobo is also a character in the Double Dragon games. Yeah. And uh, there's a big Car chase, they've got... Their big cars. Big cars. They've got um, kind of like back to the future... Mr. Fusion
1: device yeah. in their car to fuel the car.
0: So they have to drive through sort of uh, garbage cans in order to pick up more trash to put in their booster
1: engine. As I said, big cars. Our hero's car, they call it the Dragon Wagon, which is a, it's the sort of car you call, you know, it's like the Mirth Mobile... The Batmobile is—you know—Batman picks up chicks in his Batmobile. <laughs> I think it's more like the pussy wagon and Kill Bill. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it was a, called a station wagon, um, but with a big flame booster at the back, and uh, a Bobo's car. Like he's portrayed even before he gets turned into a mutagenic monster. He is portrayed as not the brightest bulb, but he still drives like a humongous four by four with with teeth, metal teeth at the front and its own sort of computer generated tracking system that he controls inside the device. His windows get blacked out and he's controlling his car via a joystick, which leads to another punk saying, you must be really bad at video games or something. That's a, a video game reference there. And I'm thinking, did Bobo design this amazing technological marvel? Well, it is revealed that he is
0: working for Koda Shuko. so oh, he gifted that. I imagine it's Shuko-branded technology he got for free in order to, I don't know, track down weakling kids and beat them up or something. I mean, it's
1: a pretty terrifying prospect because, you know, actual gangs where actual lives are actually ruined exist today. And can you imagine if... Not saying that they do, but can you imagine if the leader of Google gifted a military vehicle to one of them? <laughs> it's, a pre- it's a terrifying prospect. Yeah. Moby Dick over there is Bo a Bobo, steroid freak. Says he can bench press eight, 800 pounds. He tolls 50 bucks to send us on our way good evening gentlemen may i see some identification oh uh, well you know what I-, I left them in my other pants handle it hawk uh... 50 bucks man we accept all major credit cards including american express you got a problem with that The car chase ends in a crash, and Koga Shuko is so disappointed that he thinks the best course of action is to give Oh Bobo. I would like to say an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, they give him the strength of ten men, and they turn him into like the most distressing-looking monster I have seen this t- side of a trauma film. It gave me a toxic Avenger feel, and. I feel you find it quite distressing and hard to look at. I quite enjoyed this look. It reminded me of a garbage pail kid. He looks like if um,
0: a tyrant in Resident Evil mixed up with a baked bean. Oof! It's so, so gross. <laughs> and he's, he's
1: ballooning out of his clothes, that's the thing.
0: Yeah, and I sort of, yeah, like... Some people can maybe stomach watching a trauma movie or garbage-pale kids and stuff, but I just my life is too short <laughs> to look for at me to thing. just have. Like I, I, I watched the film *Street Trash*. It's a horrible film, and it, it's, it's one of those films which just hates all humanity. And it's about a bunch of tramps who find this off-brand liquor which causes them to melt from the inside out.
1: Oh, is that when someone melts inside a toilet yeah. or something?
0: Oh, I don't... Yes, I know that one And now. it's just... But it Double Dragon and the mutant Bobo is, like, at the same level of disgust in what is effectively, like, a kid's movie. Yeah. And Super Mario Bros. movie has that whole idea of, like, the devolution chamber, and I think just, like... I don't think Metamorphosis, like, post-Pinocchio, um, with Lampwick and the Island of the Donkey Children and stuff of <laughs> like that, I just... It just... I find, like, Metamorphosis and things just a very chilling prospect, and there's just too many kids' films which that in a very unpleasant fashion
1: i mean at the end he's not better by the end of the film he's not permanently has his intelligence been reduced at all it's a bit difficult because he was he did speak mainly in rars beforehand yeah i think it's just it's very
0: upsetting it's very like (laughs) like he in the mutant form like he sort of turns to the good side and things although the moment of realization seems to be he sat on a toilet (laughs) it <laughs> happens to me a lot. He see he sees a picture of a of a swimsuit clad lady on a postcard yes. in a mirror. It implies he's about to beat one off. It looks like he's maybe gonna jerk his mutant gherkin, um, but then he sees himself in the mirror, realizes he's like really like fugly now, and then realizes, oh wait, Shuko is maybe a bad person. I mean. He doesn't seem like... He's not willingly signed up to this sub-molecular steroid treatment because he's brought to um, Shuko's lab and Shuko says, you know, don't worry, Abobo, you're like a son to me and like a son, I can have another. Yeah, I'm on the same wavelength
1: there. That's pretty shitty thing to say, though.
0: Um, and yeah, then, like, straps him in, I guess, this terrifying um, mutant-making machine. And then later on, the brothers, uh, they find his lab and they fist fight. <laughs> more metal mutants which um like a zombie basketball player and yeah. like some guy with just like a big metal dome and metal robot arms and they're being possessed by shuko in those moments through his shadow powers it's all very confusing and um deeply uh grim
1: yeah i mean it's weird because in the game's Bobo exists as this just very muscly man. And he's clearly bigger than everyone. He's got a massive head. But I just viewed it as the game's representation of a big muscly man. Yeah. But the filmmaker said, let's try and make him look like a, like what he does in the game in real life. And at that level, I kind of respect that. I, and like... Do you feel the film would have been better or poorer if it was removed?
0: Oh, much better. Much like, I like I should actually sort of get through certain scenes. <laughs> I, see. I mean there's uh, at one moment when he's been captured by the Power Core who are this uh, sort of underground the good guy gang. Good guy gang group. He's been like force-fed spinach.
1: I thought it was sewage, but no, it was spinach.
0: Yeah, and like so not only have we got this gross character with like green gunk around his mouth but then he starts farting <laughs> and it's just like ah oh, like I'd rather watch the Melty Man from Robocop, <laughs> like, mm. over and over before having to, sort of, like, deal with yeah. a bobo again. If the Melty Man
1: from Robocop hadn't been hit by a car, he would be probably okay. He would, yeah. <laughs> he if would... the,
0: This is my Melty Man from Robocop if he just, like, sort of expanded and ballooned mm. and just kept on growing into his mutant, melty self.
1: Mm. So, we, we mentioned Power Core. So, there's a number of gangs. There's the Clowns, there's the Punks, or... What are they call the Mohawks Mohorts. and um, Power Corps, which is led by Alyssa Milano's ass apparently because there's multiple <sighs> shots of her bending down and the brothers losing all sense of self and they're just falling over each other to attack that uh, a peachy bum.
0: She is sort of um leading them down an air vent passageway and they literally fight to see who can be behind her so they can stare at her bum. Mm.
1: Well, if we're in the same situation, I'd happily stare at your bum. I'll be at the back end of that human centipede. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay, so considering that Alyssa
0: Milano is maybe the most uh, outspoken advocate of the Me Too movement, Mm -hmm. at the best of times, looking back at this now, it seems unsavoury. Especially now, the fact that she is basically introduced bending over, and then they do it again, and it's all like... Gaga eyes, you know, almost wolf whistling from the Lee brothers. Yes. It's a little bit much. I mean, so she's playing the character Marion, and that is the name of the girlfriend in the games. So, it's nice that they've given her more agency by she's like a kind of fierce young leader of this underground gang slash Biker Grove style youth (laughs) centre. The aesthetic of their lair is very much like the TV set of The Word. At one Mm -hmm. point... She sits them down on a sofa and she sits on a chair and it's almost like they're on a talk show set. It's really odd, but it's all very kind of like bright colours and graffiti everywhere, etc. But yeah, you've given her like agency, you've given her, you know... She's got like Satori, yeah, it's immediately blown up, I suppose. But she's got like sort of technical know how, and she's got a plan in order to break into Shuko's lair. And the reason why that doesn't go through is because of the brothers wanting to get the other half of the medallion and doing a very bad job of that. So, you know, she's got character to her, she's there's meat to the character, and she's
1: she's also the daughter of the head chief of police, yeah. So, and she disguises this because she's got at home, she wears a big brown wig. Yeah. Which is clearly a wig, mm-hmm. and uh, her brother knows about this. And her brother in the film is actually her brother in real life. Yeah, and uh, there's this nice bit when the chief of police is talking to her daughter and saying, "I hate power core. They're terrorists." And she's like, "No, they're not terrorists, Dad." <laughs> but in real life, and when she's in the streets, she's got like a, a short blonde, is it peroxide blonde? Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So yeah, she's got. He's definitely got more meat to her than like Jimmy or Billy she was briefly engaged to scott
0: wolf yes in 1993 so but that didn't last and jimmy and much billy had longer. to fight each other to the death <laughs> and uh, billy lost yeah like i think she is entertaining in this i think she's got charm and charisma mm. and i think uh, you know could do with less of the um, leary
1: lee brothers Perving over her at every uh, moment. Yes, I think again, it was a different time <laughs> where your heroes could just be complete pervs and um, get away with it. And that'd be considered endearing. That, yeah, that's going to be the opposite, even. It's not even you'd forgive them for being kids, it'd be like over oh, just like me. So, hey, the, the brothers say, utilise Marion's help to help them break into, I think, Shuko's tower. I noticed Shuko's foyer had the most beautiful um, fountain, the lovely squirty fountain. It was quite relaxing to look at. The camera sort of lingers on this fountain for maybe about 15 seconds. (laughs) I mean, there's not much in the way of interesting cinematography in this. So it's really just what's in the frame which counts. And so this was something which was in the frame, which I really enjoyed. Obviously filmed in some actual... I mean, I don't think it was a set. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> it was, was someone's election. lobby somewhere. Yeah, exactly. But um, this lobby gets attacked by youths, by people with rollerblades and um, roller skates, I imagine, and skateboards. And you know what? Again, I'm an old man. I'm like, they're just causing a nuisance. <laughs> I, would, I would be the guy angry. I'd be the security guard going, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. But meanwhile, the trio is going through a side tunnel, again, arguing over who gets to follow Elisa Milano. And then they pop out, well, actually, they, they end up in the air vent above Robert Patrick's penthouse sort of office type deal. And I thought, God, that, that must have taken a long time to climb up those tunnels because <laughs> you get the impression of it was tunneling the whole way up there.
0: Yeah. How did they go all the way? Like they'd have to have got a ladder at some point going very high up because they fall later very far down in order to
1: get to the basement labs. Mm. Wow so anyway um they overhear some gubbins they see um, Marion's dad being uh, attempted to be bribed by Shuko and um, they attempt to f- get the medallion off his desk by creating a sort of fishing rod type deal and this fishing rod thing goes down behind Shuko but in full view of lash and lash rather than saying hey guys look um, she she quietly gets like a massive blade and attacks the ceiling with it. <laughs> I did enjoy her fight with the chief of police, though. I was really amused how this sort of slightly past it cop was having a fight with a lady in a business suit and uh, a whip. And um, that, he still wins. He wins by pushing something heavy onto her and allows him to escape for a bit. But as you said, this all results uh, in the basement where they're attacked by various surprise zombies. We like surprise zombies on the podcast. Always nice to see a surprise zombie. It's at this point, though, where he gets the upper hand and manages to capture Jimmy whilst possessed as another monster. And he gives him a sort of a bear hug. And the last thing he says is, isn't this fun, Jimmy? And I put in a note, this is the last thing Jimmy hears before he dies. Because, <laughs> I, I, you know, and he wasn't going to be dead. But I got the impression that he was dying, and Billy and um Marion escape. We rejoin Jimmy tied down, and that is when the little quip where uh, Robert Patrick says, "Then I will kill you just like I did your father." It was like, "All oh, right, just um." That's not really given any dramatic weight, either, is it? It's just it just said that we we cut back to the Power Core HQ where there's a, a big attack on the Power Core HQ by all the gangs under the command of Robert Patrick. But uh, Jimmy makes an appearance in this fight, but he has the voice of Kogoshuko. Mm. Um and whenever Kogoshuko possesses anyone they have these sort of tics which Kokoshuko carries over he likes to crack his knuckles he likes to sweep his his hair back his flat top back and that's that was a choice I thought that was just like a, a just a big choice done by the actor but no it helped it clues you into the fact that uh, he's terrible at pretending to be other people <laughs> I thought Mark Dukas just did a good voice syncing mm-hmm. of Robert Patrick. Same eyebrow voice. raised. Yeah. He was yeah. Very... I thought he was very good at pretending as Robert Patrick. And he he beats the shit bit out of Billy while in this form.
0: Yeah, and uh while recanting the tale of Romulus and Remus. <laughs> um... <laughs> a lot of history stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but at that point a double dragon arcade machine does make oh. a very prominent appearance. So do you think they themed themselves over the game? I think in this film, Double Dragon, The Legend of the Medallion um, has inspired a Japanese video game developer to oh. <laughs> make a game, and it's in the Power Core arcade. They probably are vaguely familiar with it, but not so much that they'd be like, hey, Double Dragon, the medallion, what, like the video game? No, it's a real medallion. Do you know the story of Romulus and Remus, sons of Mars, god of war?
1: If you're waiting for an emergency, this is it.
0: The brothers were abandoned and raised by wolves. Together,
1: they built the great city of Rome. Shadow demon, you shall not pass. Uh
0: Uh In a quarrel, Romulus
1: killed Remus. It's a great story. You know, I was watching this bit where Billy's being chased by Kokoshuko in Jimmy's body, and I'm like, I'm not sure this is a martial arts movie, really. <laughs> there is some kicking and punching and stuff, but uh, you know, it's a Mortal Kombat was a more is a martial arts movie, and this is again just an action adventure type thing. There is a very impressive reverse backflip though by uh, by Jimmy. They he did a backflip in real life, and they reversed it, which. Uh, gets me excited the magic of editing <laughs> i think shuko's final play while in jimmy's body is to say give me your half of the medallion or i will crush myself and there's a very convenient weight right next to him with a there's like a big heavy um, i guess it's meant it's like to like be punching a, bag
0: yeah maybe a punching bag Would that but that kill you well i think if it was dropped from a great height onto your head directly it might break your neck
1: mm. Can you imagine if he tried to carry out his threats and then it didn't work, so he tries to find another way to kill himself. I
0: mean, if this film was deciding to go darker, I think that would be quite a fun fight. Billy has to stop Jimmy from killing himself. So <laughs> Jimmy is, like, throwing himself into all kinds of, like, machinery, but Billy has to like sort of kick him before he, like, flings himself into a giant fan or, <laughs> you know, decides to
1: hang himself what's his face shuko finally gets both sides of medallions and um now becomes all-powerful he has control over body and soul which um seems to represent itself by two sort of guys with swords That is that's just the limits of his all-powerfulness and i guess it's a bit scary to be chased by somebody with swords when you're just relying on these fists but then i forgot Billy and Jimmy are the protagonists of this film.
0: Yeah, as I mentioned before, Shudo in this form is very easily defeated by kicking, punching, and the lights being switched on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know. My
1: one weakness,
0: pretty much everything. (laughs) It's not quite awesome mystical powers, is it? But I guess they hadn't invented um, halogen light technology back when the medallion was first created, so who knows? But now Jimmy and Billy possess the medallion. They combine it. They get their sweet outfits. Mm -hmm. And Jimmy possesses Shuko by jumping into his body and starts slapping himself. And they're saying, like, stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. I find this fact quite disturbing how easy Jimmy was with just possessing somebody. Yeah. I mean, I guess Shuko possessed him first. So, you know, tit for tat. But the police arrive. They um, take in Shuko, who, as... Possessed by Jimmy, writes a check to the underfunded NAPD and well, no, allows uses, himself to be arrested.
1: He uses like a voice activated check
0: dispenser. Yeah.
1: Um. But using Jimmy's voice. I so... think, yeah, it's
0: voice activated in the sense it it's seems voice like. voice
1: recognition. Yeah.
0: Like he speaks aloud what's on the check and then signs it. Presumably mm-hmm. he knows
1: Shuko's signature. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's possessed as, well. as him but knows how to sign it off even um, I think the last thing he says, um when when he's got his actual voice back, I think Jimmy no longer is possessing him, he says, um, if you think I'm bad, wait till you meet my lawyers ha ha, 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 ha ha and then he gets put in the cop car and sent away. I yeah. en- I enjoyed that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the trial.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so anyway, gangs of have- Welcomed the cops back. The cops are now brave enough to do the night shift because they've been inspired. Well, the police <laughs> chief has been inspired by Marion's Power Corps revolutionary efforts to yeah, take but back the streets. He's now got the
1: funding, so I bet what we're going to do the next day is is shut down Power Core because he's I got know, he's got the money to fight gangs now. It's really confusing. I
0: don't. I think they're not going to do anything with that check. I think it's all going to be. I don't know, he's Can evil. Can you accept checks from someone who's just stuff? been arrested? I don't know, Made liquidise his assets or something, you found mm. guilty. What was his crime? Yeah, really, what was his crime? Bribing the police. Uh, I
1: guess he killed if someone. He, if he hadn't bothered bribing the police... Well, he killed Satori. That's one thing. Ah, uh, we've, we've completely blown over the fact that when the double dragon medallion gets recombined, her head appears <laughs> in a glittery cloud and says... Destiny has brought together the double dragons. Bye. <laughs> goes, yeah. I'm a little tornado. Bye. I mean, almost my last note here is: you know, Obobo shows up. I was like, poor Obobo, fuck his life. <laughs> <laughs> He's but had it rough. Another confusing thing has happened. Jimmy, for for reasons best known to himself, thinks Billy has possessed Obobo to the point that he allows a Bobo behind a wheel of their dragon wagon. Now, Jimmy knows full well that only he possesses the dragon with the power of the soul. It is Billy, which is the power of the body. He's the, he knows he's the only person right now who can possess people. And yet, he still allows this to happen. It's certainly jumping to a conclusion, isn't it? Yeah. But a Bobo just basically... I am assuming kills everyone. <laughs> he takes. he's Billy was hiding in the boots. So again, we can't put the full blame on Jimmy because a Bobo shows up by the car, says, Hey, let me drive. Jimmy's like, Yeah, cool. And uh, Marion gets in with them. And then Billy shows up in the boots? Why did he get in the boots? He's just having a nap. He's just a fun guy. He says, This'll be a laugh. And that, that practical joke ends up killing all of them. You assume that mutant Abobo is as bad a driver as original Abobo. Oh, that's true. How does he even get in? I mean, I know Dave Bautista, the wrestler, struggles to get into sports cars because he's so hefty. But Abobo? <laughs>
0: yeah, well, maybe it is just like air and his giant head sack. That's the thing, it does look like air. I what's think what's is more just disturbing,
1: balloon? balloon air or
0: flesh? Ugh. I mean, it's all grim, isn't it? I think there's no more demeaning role than playing, like, a punk in a post-apocalyptic movie where you have to... Particularly, like, his psychic, is all like... Aah! But I think playing one which then gets turned into a horrible mutant man is uh, something altogether... I want to see even what... more demeaning. Although the actor who plays a Bobo in his original form is different to the actor who plays mutant to Bobo, so maybe oh. the original a Bobo was like, "I am not putting that on," or maybe wonder. they needed like a specialist. To... I don't know. It seems like
1: just bad choices, <laughs> bad bad choices. But I was just marveling. I mean, I know you hated the aesthetic of a, of a Bobo, but I just wanted to see a cutaway and see where his Head fits to his face and where... I mean, I'm I assuming his face isn't lifted off.
0: I mean, if there's a Double Dragon Visual Dictionary cross-sections guidebook or something, by all means, not yourself, out. But I don't want to look at that thing ever again. It's just relentlessly
1: unpleasant. Well, <laughs> So, I mean, with that in mind, did you find Double Dragon relentlessly unpleasant?
0: I don't know. It's a very unusual film. I wouldn't say it's not entertaining. It's quite sort of light and breezy to an extent. It's quite easy enough in terms of the sort of vibe it's going for. Uh, You know, I I, I like the performance from Mark Dacascas. I think Robert Patrick is having a ball. Like, it's a fascinating time capsule, I think, in terms of what was going on in... You know, video game movies and and things, but, you know, just sort of ideas of the time in that early 90s Los Angeles, California. I mean, the film
1: is a melting pot in the very sense of the word. Yes,
0: yes. I'd be intrigued to find out about the intentions of the writers. So the story was by Paul Dini and Neil Schusterman. could not believe when
1: I saw the name Paul Dini.
0: And, yeah, so he's, like, behind so many... um, Warner Brothers animations and DC Comets animations. So, like, he co-created Harley Quinn Mm -hmm. in the Batman animated series. And he also wrote the story for the Arkham Asylum game. So, I'd be intrigued what aspects of the story that he came up with. He didn't do the screenplay. The screenplay was co-written by Michael Davis and Peter Gould. Davis would go on to write and direct Shoot'em Up, the Clive Owen Action film, and Peter Gould would go on to write for Breaking Bad and better Call Saul. Okay, so um, I don't know, interesting careers have come out from this film.
1: I feel they had this sort of through line of of kind of grunginess. I don't know. do you would you recommend this film? do you think? Um for general
0: audiences <laughs> i I wouldn't think for general audiences, I think there's there are a lot of intriguing elements contained within. I think all those elements have been better done in better movies, but to have them all in this weird hodgepodge mishmash, different genres and styles all playing together in... I wouldn't say, like, incongruous fashion. It's, it somehow makes it all work within itself, but it doesn't necessarily make it very... Um, pleasant watch <laughs> i would say so recommended for people who want to get some kind of early 90s vibes and they've explored other avenues to do so this is a very this is a very concentrated dose of that <laughs> kind of feel and vibe and aesthetic and you know it has its merits but i wouldn't necessarily recommend watching it Apart from,
1: you know, video game movie uh, completionists. Mm, I thought this was great. <laughs> well, no, actually, he's giving it too much credit. Um, I think I remember finding this a bit tiresome when I saw it way back when, but I think this time I really enjoyed myself. I think, as I said, I really enjoyed kind of the grungy, weird world. And while well, I don't think I would deliberately put this on, like, I don't think I'd, you know, borrow your DVD, I mean, your Blu ray, anytime soon. If this happened to be on telly, if somebody was insane enough to put this on the TV, I would totally put it on if there was nothing better on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um... Although the um, main characters are a bit of Goody 2 shows, there's, there's a lot of Robert Patrick in there. I think they definitely made the right call where they had their villain showing up a lot. I quite enjoy the what-the-fuck nature of a Bobo. I just... He, he sticks out like a literal sore thumb. He's, he's just horrible. But yeah, I think, as I said earlier, I think this is like a, an unsung addition to the canon of video game movies. I think it... Um, I still think it probably is the lesser of the three we always talk about, Mortal Kombat, Mario Brothers and uh, Street Fighter. But I think it sets out what it wanted to do. I don't think it was trying to be more than a a dumb adventure film and you know i don't i mean i guess the only thing is maybe the performances of the main characters are a little bit shonky it's a little bit basic dialogue and it's a little bit basic performances but uh, i don't know like i said i recently saw cats and, and everything <laughs>
0: anything seems great compared to cats i guess that is the uh, bar the threshold, the threshold that's been crossed or something so yeah maybe i'd appreciate it more you think i'm bad where do you meet my lawyers <laughs>
1: so um that's us dealing with the double dragons is there any more films featuring brothers i guess there's the big one the mary brothers but yeah. is there anything else with brothers in it possibly <laughs> um but yes uh, what are we covering next on games and film
0: our next episode is also flirting with a future that is yet to be written or possibly exists now. Ooh, satire. It is the <laughs> Neville Dean Taylor 2009 film Gamer. Gamer. <laughs> so that
1: gamer? Some of the accents. Gamer. Gamer. <laughs> it is starring Jared Butler. It is Gamer. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Um, in the meantime, how can people keep in touch with us? You can find all information about
0: Games on Film on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com podcast. It's also where you can find links to support the show. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook at gamesonfilmpod. And you can also email us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. All episodes of the show are on soundcloud.com slash gamesonfilmpod, and you can also find us on Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts. Indeed, please like, review, rate, subscribe, and share with friends and family and like-minded individuals everything there is to know about games on film. You can also find me on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at OnlyManWhoCan. And the music was composed by David Lightfoot.
1: Do you have anything to plug, Harry? Um, it's 2000... I was going to say it's 2020. That's not the traditional way of saying it. You can call it how you like it. It is 2020 and I'm back doing comedy. So just uh, follow me on the old Twitter or Google Harry Steele Comedian and you'll find me. And if you'd like to check out some video game and music
0: club nights, then please look up Gamer Disco. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. Our next event is taking place in London at Queen of Hotstone in Shoreditch on the 5th of February so do join us then
1: yes well stay safe have a great new year and we'll be uh, seeing you again when we tackle gamer yes next (laughs)
0: time on games on film gamers on film yes do join us then thank you for listening take care Bye bye bye